Welcome to Dark Mode, the podcast that brings you sage advice from two technology experts. And that's not just what we call ourselves. It's what our moms call us after they read our life's work from Bing Chat AI and teach it how to become sentient. And I'm your host, Luke Miani. And I'm your host, Noah Rubin. On this show, we take questions from listeners, attempt to answer them to varying degrees of success, and maybe even have a laugh or two along the way. Hopefully we can answer them better than the Bing chat AI, but I'm not too sure. Do you have access to it? Because I was too late and I, I don't have access to it, unfortunately. I don't. I signed up. You know, I have been, I'm sure we've discussed this before, but I've been a Bing user for quite a while. I use Bing as my primary search engine. Yeah. Long before Weird. any of this, I use Bing Why? because of the rewards points. That's the only reason. It's it's So you can fine. get, oh, you're out. Bro, you have to tell, you have to tell everyone about what you do with your rewards points. Okay, the thing that I used to do with the rewards points don't—it doesn't work anymore fully. Okay. But I used to have a whole scheme, and it was just a way to get movies, uh, like digital copies of movies, uh, pretty pretty cheaply. But it doesn't really work anymore. And and by pretty cheaply. I, okay, we don't have to get into any further detail, but Noah Noah was a little schemer, and he used his Bing points to gain access to many movies, legally, but sneakily. Yeah, it was about $2 plus tax per, per movie. Not not all of them worked, but uh, but it was a good, uh, it was a good one. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't get access to Bing Chat. I've I uh, I signed up for the the uh, waitlist thing. I downloaded the app, the Bing app on my phone, whatever, and uh, and I haven't gotten access yeah. yet. Oh man, that's see. I'm checking right now. Uh, how do I? I'm on the waitlist. I'm not in though, unfortunately. Mm. That is so unfortunate. Oh well, I do have I do have access to Notion AI. I don't know if you've heard of them. I've heard of Notion. It's like the note-taking app. Yeah, so they, they have an AI. Wait, I might actually have just done an oopsie. I don't think it's actually launched yet. Oh. Uh, well, no, it's it's public knowledge that it exists. Okay, we're good. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, so I've got... I've got a a video there. They sponsored a Wednesday's video. And so I obviously was poking around a little bit, you know, as you do doing a little poking here and there. Oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so good. It's like, let me log in. How do I log in? I forgot my, oh, there it is. Okay, we're good. I want to see if I can pull this up here. I feel like maybe I shouldn't show this. Do you think they'll know? Mm, I mean, this show is extremely popular, so it's certainly possible, but hopefully not. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing it. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. You know what, you know that saying? Yep, yep, go for it. So I think... Okay, let me close out of all my other tabs here. I got to see if I've never done this before, but we're going to attempt to share a screen that's not just a Chrome tab. Oh. 
Okay, it does not. It did not work. No. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. As you were, uh, Noah Vamp. Quick, okay. Vamp. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna mention. You know, we're talking about these AIs. There's the Bing. The Bing uh, chat. There's the uh, chat GPT, of course. So you're pulling up the Notion one. I will say I also got a chance to use Google's new uh, chat AI. It's called Google Bard. You might have heard of it. Uh, right now it is only oh, yeah. accessible to Google employees. So I obviously will not be talking about it, but it is another, uh, another uh, chat AI that exists. And I think that these chat AIs are really interesting. Maybe we can get into this after you show off the, the Notion one. But I think especially for Bing and Google, it's such a weird, like, I don't know, using these chatbots for search engines, It's it doesn't make sense to me because fundamentally the mm. way they work, they're just very intelligent autocomplete, essentially. There's no, yeah. like, sort of safety net or, or like, and any, like, way for it to, to actually know that what it's saying is true. I was playing mm -hmm. around with one of these things and I, you know, asked it a question and it quoted some article, some, like, Vanity Fair article that as far as I can tell, doesn't exist. Like, I, it gave me the title of the article. It said it was from, like, Vanity Fair or some news, newspaper or whatever. I looked it up, and it doesn't exist. It just – it makes stuff hmm. up. And so using them for a search engine That's... specifically is really weird to me, really weird application of it, but I don't know. That is – no, that's – you're absolutely right. Um, it's a little problematic, not to mention the fact that it's basically just synthesizing the search result – it basically is just doing a Google search and verbalizing what it finds. It's like you're just asking a person with no ability to understand truth to just read through the search results and summarize them. Effectively. Pretty much, but there's also no guarantee that it will, like, it uses the search results to inform you know, the text that it generates, but there's no guarantee yeah. that it'll actually be true, anything that they're saying. Like right. It uses, yeah, it that's uses what I'm that saying. It's to like, base it off of, it's, but, you know, it's using the, the It's using the results, but it's not necessarily... It, it's not able to distinguish which results are credible and which are not. Right, or, or even... So there's that part, but there's even... Sometimes it'll just say things that aren't even in the results. Like it made up you know, oh, title really? of an article and it made up, you know, quotations from that article. And as far as I could tell, oh, maybe God. I'm wrong, but that article didn't exist. So there's just, it wow. can do very, very weird things like that. Uh, I'm about to do a weird thing because in order to get this screen capture permission, I, I've got to disappear for a second. So unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. All right. Well, Luke has been consumed by the AI. Actually, we should oh, uh, StreamYard should add support right now. for AI uh, hosts. Because if Luke time. has to disappear for a minute to turn his, uh, you know, turn his air conditioning off or, uh, you know, get something ready to go, honestly, if we just replaced you with an AI while you were gone, no one would have known the difference. Hey, I'm cool. For for thirty seconds, for ten seconds, you were gone for ten seconds. I think we could have gotten away with it for ten seconds. You know what? I'm gonna use I'm gonna use Notion AI to write my response to this. Okay. Okay. Respond to a podcast co-host insulting my 
intelligence. Well, I wouldn't say I did that, but we'll see what it says. Uh-oh. You don't have to respond to someone who is insulting your intelligence. Instead, focus on how you can use your knowledge to create something meaningful. Whether it's a project, article, or a video, you can use your skills to create something that stands out and makes a statement. Showing your expertise in a creative and productive way is the best way to respond to someone who is insulting your intelligence. So with that in mind, I'm going to make a video. Okay. All right. I'll see you in, uh, what, like 10 hours, 20 hours. Yeah, basically. So here, let me, let me see if I can do, 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 do share screen. Oh, look at this. We have now got ourselves notion AI. All right. So nice. can I make this bigger? Yes, I can. All right. So this is a sample paragraph and one of the things that i really liked about this and by the way i should note that notion is sponsoring a video later but have not sponsored this because we are very uh almost surgically precise in failing in any and all way to make money off of this podcast um yeah so it, to the extent where I am giving a sponsor additional publicity just because I think it's cool and I'm still not making any money for it. So I, I think, honestly, that deserves a pat on the back there, Noah. We we really are running a podcast at a net loss. And you know what? We're, we're doing it. We're having That's a good time. That's how it's got to be. That's how you know it's real. We're not in anyone's pockets. We're just – we're not nope. even in our own pockets. Our pockets are empty. Yeah. <laughs> so let me show you one of the coolest things that, that I, I really liked about this. Now, obviously, a lot of the existing AI things are, are sort of meant to... They're sort of designed more for, like, answering questions. This is more for productivity. So one of the things that I like about this is... Take a look at this. Oh no, I did the wrong thing. <laughs> Hang on. Here we go. We can we can ask AI to make it shorter. Now watch this. So it just took this paragraph and made it shorter, but it didn't do that by sacrificing any like factual issues here like it it was very careful to make things short but not just cut things out like if you if you look at this apple started making computers in the late 70s despite competition and inexperience of founder steve jobs they quickly scaled and innovated the apple II was successful but not what steve wanted his vision was realized through the apple lisa though it made strides it wasn't a commercial success in 1984, Steve unveiled the Macintosh, a, a personal computer meant to make computers a household appliance. It didn't, it didn't like mix anything up there or or garble information. It literally just took what I said and made it shorter. That's pretty impressive. 
That is that agree? is like I, I think I think this is one of the things where that AI can really excel at, and I think that's why it's smart that they incorporated it here in an app like Notion. Like all these things, yeah. make shorter, make longer, change the tone, simplify the language. These are things where you're taking a very specific corpus, you know, a very specific chunk of text, and you're just telling it to do, you know, make some sort of a transformation to it. So you don't get those weird mm-hmm. things where it like makes stuff up or where it goes off the rails and starts talking about how it's like alive and whatever. When it's these very specific, uh, you know, applications here, it. It, it makes a lot of sense, and especially in a case like this where, uh, the, you know, the idea is that you're not taking this at face value. Like, this is sort of meant to help as, like, a starting point, and then you're going to go in and maybe make some changes and, and, and whatever. So I think that this is a place where it, where it really excels. And I just tried it again here, but this time, rather than taking my existing information and shrinking it, I had it make it longer. Now, this is interesting because there, there, it's definitely adding a little bit of filler language, but it also added some some tidbits that are accurate that I didn't talk about. And that's very impressive. Like, like see here, the Lisa made strides toward popularizing the user-friendly personal computer with its graphical interface and point-and-click mouse. I didn't supply that information. So it, it has added that on itself. And we also get, thus, in 1984, Steve Jobs unveiled the Macintosh, a personal computer designed for the masses. It was meant to be the piece of tech that made computers a household appliance, something that everybody wanted and owned. It was the first computer to feature a graphical user interface. Slight duplication there. Um, so that's, that's one area where you'd have to watch out. But then they say making it easy to use for anyone. And its signature 1984 commercial was a huge success, drastically increasing the Macintosh's popularity and cementing Apple's place as a leader in the tech industry. So this is, I think, a good example of what we were talking about in both situations, because I think a lot of, I think this basically comes from, as we mentioned, the AI is pulling from information on the internet. And a lot of people incorrectly attribute the the 1984 Macintosh as being the first graphical interface when it wasn't it was the Apple Lisa and so I think that's I don't know I just think that's pretty interesting that uh you do start to see some of the like I guess common misconceptions that that make it through but you know obviously you shouldn't have an AI write something and then just like set it on its way. But it did a really good job of expanding on what I had fed it initially. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, this sort of application, when you're in a note-taking app where it's sort of, you know, a, a, an iterative process, you know, you maybe you write down that paragraph. Maybe this is like for a video script. You write down that paragraph and then maybe you want to adjust the time if you have more or less footage to show on top of it. And you can ask the AI to yeah. help you with that. And then, of course, you have to go in and read it to make sure you know that it, it still flows well and that there's nothing that's factually incorrect. But this is a good, I'd say, a good application uh, of this kind of technology. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, actually, this actually, this brings me on to a good point because... Totally unrelated, by the way, but 
since we're already talking about early Apple here and the Lisa and the Macintosh, I actually just got in my uh, original Macintosh mouse for an upcoming video that you guys will see. And I love this mouse. It's, it's incredible. I mean, first of all, terribly unergonomic, right? It is, it is one of the least logical shapes that, that a mouse could be. However, that does not matter. I don't care about that in the slightest because of one very simple reason, Noah, and that is the sound that this mouse makes. If you go on YouTube and look up like mouse click sound effect, or you think, imagine in your mind the sound effect of a computer mouse clicking, I know you've all got it in your mind. This is that. Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can emulate that here. This is some ASMR. Yeah, it is. Isn't that such a good sound? That is nice. It's a nice little little thunk, I would say. It really is. And here, I'm I'm think I'm not even doing it justice. Okay, let me put it down on my table and I'll turn the mic. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's so good. That is so good. My goodness. I don't know. I've just been clicking it all day. It's such a good, it's got such travel. It's got like a, an actuation. It, it just, something about it just hits the spot. Much better than this. Oh, man. Magic Mouse. I mean, that's, that just sounds sad. Yeah, it's too. That's too. That's like the. That's like the digital equivalent. The the old ones like the analog. It's like the classic sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Uh, now, I think I, I I have to take a moment here to just address the angriest person in the chat right now, who's who's foaming at the mouth with rage. Uh huh. Nobody cares about this. Stick to the title of the podcast. For once, just shut up. This is so boring. Talk about the Apple Spring event. OMG, that does not sound like a mouse. Nope. Thumbs down emoji. Mm. So, I hate to pull rank on this commenter, but I was not aware of the fact that you are one of the technology experts who offers sage technology advice on the podcast. I, I must not have gotten that memo. I think, uh, let me double check. No, no, it's sage advice from two technology experts, right? Right. Two. What? Not three. Mm, no, it's, that's just two. Let me check our contract here. Yeah. Yeah, nope. That says two. Sure enough. Hmm. So I guess we can do whatever we want, Noah. I guess so. <laughs> let me let me pick your brain for a moment. Okay. I uh 
I got this chapstick here on my United flight. Uh-huh. It's well, technically it's it's conditioning lip balm. Hmm. That's what they're calling it. Uh and now I have to say I did notice something that it, it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And that was that this chapstick doesn't last as long as it should. I feel like uh, a lip balm should be able to sustain moisturization of a lip for, what, six hours? I maybe maybe seven hours? Maybe. I think that's a reasonable expectation. But what I found was this is a balm that that needs constant upkeep Hmm. i think honestly i hate to break it to you i feel like airline quality lip balm is just not gonna be it's just not gonna reach that like you know the store-bought premium brand lip balm that that you need it's just you know airline brand it's not gonna it's like it's like the airline food equivalent of lip balm it's just not gonna reach that level that you want it to be that's no, you know, that is very fair. Uh, I, I will I will say, though, I was slightly disappointed when I found out, though, that let me see here. What is this? Uh, here we go. I'm finding this. So take a look here. This is Sunday Riley, right? This is a a skincare brand and mm. not an inexpensive one. Okay. So I figured to myself, like, how, how much if you wanted to get this conditioning lip balm? How much does that cost? So let me see if I can find... I don't even know where this would be. Maybe moisturizers? Oh, gosh. I don't even know what I'm looking for. I'm just going to Google Sunday Riley Lip Balm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Does no one actually sell this thing is it an airline exclusive so it does appear to be wow okay someone on ebay (laughs) somebody on ebay has taken it upon themselves to sell this uh this lip balm as well as the the face cream that you get in flight as you can see here in in excruciating detail. And they've decided that this is worth, with shipping, $14.60 for one one chapstick and 0.17 fluid ounce of of moisturizer. That's, uh... (laughs) That's a bit steep. You should make them an offer. You know what? You're right. I should. Now, now, as I said, I was disappointed in the uh, the longevity, shall we say, of this balm, mm-hmm. and I noticed something then that that sparked a conspiracy in my mind, Noah, and that is here on the back where it says conditioning lip balm enriched with pomegranate seed oil and shea butter to fight in-flight dehydration. So clearly this has been designed to to nourish and 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 pamper the lips, but yet it's not. 
And I think, I think that is a scheme because I have only had this chapstick for about a week and a half. And look at, look at how this is all that's left. I have gone through this chapstick at an astonishing pace, which I think is a marketing ploy designed to get me in the pocket of big chapstick. I think honestly, to be fair though, if it says, if the chapstick says that it's meant for in-flight hydration or whatever it said, you're not in the flight anymore. You know, it's done its job theoretically. 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 So you could argue then that it's just a shoddy product designed only to last the duration of a five-hour cross-country flight. I suppose. I suppose you could argue that. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, dear. I, I don't know. All I can say is I think we have well and truly, well and truly roasted the person that was, uh, that was making fun of us. And in fact, we've pissed off a couple other people. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe we should get into the Apple event now, or, or lack thereof. I hope this episode goes down. I prefer Genius Bar, John and Sam fight. Oh, you want us to pick a fight? Okay. All right. <laughs> we can make Just that kidding. happen. So, if anything, I would like to pick a fight with uh, Tim Cook. Mm-hmm. Because here, here we were all thinking that a spring Apple event was – spring would be sprung upon us. And yet – uh, it turns out, no. According to Mark Gurman, there will not, in fact, be a spring Apple event. The VR headset, not coming yet. New iPads, new Mac chips, a Mac Pro, all of it pushed back. Isn't that tragic? Yeah, I know we were looking forward to... That was a lot. I mean, you just said a lot of things. We were looking forward to a lot of things. And now, are we expecting none of those things in, in March? I I think we are expecting nothing at all until WWDC. Oh wow. That's that's a little while away. Uh I'm I'm already catching depress depress because it's it's currently February 20 no 19th. 19th. Okay, WWDC is usually the first week of June. So are we really talking about... Are we are we really talking about another... All of March, all of April, all of May. Three, three months and change before we hear anything from old Timmy boy? I don't know. That seems... I can understand something big like the VR headset. You know, we were supposed to hear about that in March. Maybe they're going to push that back to Dub Dub. That's fine. There's got to be something in March, even if it's not that exciting. They got to do, like, something, right? You know, that's a good point. I feel like there's... Okay, well, we haven't considered that there could be new iPad Pros... 
like what about what about press releases right there's there's a couple of things that that they usually do in the spring probably new iphone colors uh last spring well last spring was the event that i leaked oops sorry oh yes, oh, yes. yeah the new purple iphone that came out uh the Mac Studio, the Studio Display, and I think the oh yeah, the refreshed M1 iPad Air, I believe, and that one I also leaked in purple. Oopsie. So, like, okay, I get that that was that makes sense for an event because you had the Mac Studio, and the Mac Studio was a pretty big deal. But with what we have right now, I don't think there's any Macs. I think it would basically just be a new iPhone color and maybe a, uh, put the M put, put something in an iPad. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's, I feel like there's not really something else until WWDC. Yeah. I feel like the big ones are waiting on are like the VR headset, Something with the iMac, hopefully. They could, you know, stick M2 in the iMac, and I guess maybe that could be a press release. But, like, we're also waiting for the bigger iMac, so that would be a bigger deal, theoretically. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. The bigger things definitely seem like they should have an actual event, but there could be, and I heard some rumblings about new uh, AirPods uh, Max. I don't know if that has come up recently. I've heard I've heard a little bit. I don't I don't know if we're expecting it anytime soon, but like that's another thing. And that was a press release, surprisingly enough. So you never know. That's true. I don't know. It's oh, actually, here, look. Someone else just said I thought the 15-inch MacBook Air was coming in April. I forgot about that. And the thing is, and I talked about this in my in a recent video, which is as pointed out here, MacBook Air 15 inch is supposed to come with M2, so it has to come out before June. Uh, from what it seemed like, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, it was it was sort of said that the MacBook Air was releasing soon, a 15 inch. And I'm actually really, really, really excited for that. But for it to come with M2 at this point, I think is unlikely. I think we are probably out of time for for m2 systems to come out right like think about this if if we did get a 15 inch macbook air in april with the m2 chip that would be 10 months after the m2 chip launched i i don't think that's i i don't see that as being a possibility that is way too long to be still coming out with an M2. We're already doing M2 Pro and Max, right? I don't I don't see that happening. And so then it makes you wonder, is the M3 chip gonna come out with a, a MacBook Air 13 and 15 launching at the same time with the same chip? That to me makes more sense, but this is now setting up WWDC to be an absolute monster. Because we're talking about a new 13 and 15 inch MacBook Air with a three nanometer chip. Okay, huge, big, new architecture, new screen size, new MacBook Air. Whoa, that's big. On top of that, a Mac Pro, and on top of that, a VR headset 
What? That really does seem like too much for one event. But to be fair, like yeah. each of those things in isolation, given what we've seen since this transition to Apple Silicon in 2020, these all seem like things that would be announced at WWDC. The next generation of the chip, right? The the mm-hmm. M3. They've announced the generations yep. of the chips at DubDub. The uh, like a new kind of chip. I guess I don't know if the MacBook Pro or the Mac Pro would be like an ultra chip or it would be something even beyond that. But like a new level of chip. That would be another thing, and especially the the VR headset. That's got to be a dub dub thing. It's a whole new platform, a brand new category mm-hmm. for them. Uh, whole different, like as far as the software, you know how the software is going to work. Completely different on a VR headset than any other product. Even the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch was different, but fundamentally, it's a small touchscreen. The VR headset is a completely different paradigm. So that definitely seems yeah. like something that you'd expect to see at DubDub. So it's a lot of things, but, like, I would expect in isolation to see them, you know, come out at a DubDub event. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I think you're right, because to your point, in isolation, each of these could headline a WWDC. A new 3 nanometer chip, a new Mac Pro, a new category of product, a VR headset. Each of those things individually would be enough to make an entire event. So the idea that we get them all at once, that's, uh, that seems a bit, that seems a bit optimistic. And so it does beg the question, why, why not have some of that come out in the spring? Because, I mean, when you look at Apple's event schedule, after WWDC, there is never an event before the iPhone event. It is always, first week of June is WWDC, second week of September is iPhone. That's There's never July, August, or late June. They never do that. So, what it comes down to is like, okay, which of those things could be pushed ahead, come out in in the spring. Well, according to Mark Gurman, none of them. So then it comes down to which of them get pushed back. Do we think that we could be in a uh, pick two? You know, you got three choices, pick two of them. Maybe they tease the headset and launch M3. To me... That's the most believable. I would personally think at this point that the Mac Pro will be a, a three nanometer system. I don't think there's going to be an M2 Ultra. I don't think there's going to be an M2 Extreme. I think at this point we're waiting for three nanometers. So to my mind, we take these three big, big things. I think WWDC would be structured as follows. We start off with our usuals, you know, the hellos, the new systems, right? Your new Mac OS, iPad OS, and iOS. Every year we get those. Then we move down into the secret underground lab and Johnny introduces the three nanometer M3 chip. That launches in the new MacBook Air with the headlining 15 inch along for the ride. And then we have one more thing it's the VR headset. Yay. Cut to October. Then we get the Mac Pro. I could see that because I do think 
you know, if the Mac Pro is going to have an M3 Ultra or M3 Extreme or whatever it's going to be, I feel like usually Apple, like, builds up to that. I don't know if they're going to announce the M3 and go all the way, you know, through all the M3 chips that are going to exist. Because I, I feel like they exactly. kind of do it. You know, they start with the M3 and they launch, you know, whatever products go, you know, with the M3. It'll be the MacBook Air in this case, theoretically. And then there's got to be, like the pro and the and the max and then i feel like the mm-hmm. ultra and maybe extreme comes so i think that's one one uh area that makes sense i think another possibility i agree with you about them teasing the vr headset because i can't imagine them coming to an event and dropping it and being like obviously yeah. they would never say it's going to be available now but even to like the first time that they announce it i would be kind of surprised if they commit to a firm timeline or if they just say it'll be Mm. available later this year it'll be available in 2024 i would be surprised if they're any more specific than that so i feel like we could see maybe they could tease a lot about it or they could just tease a very little bit that it's coming and we might get very little information about it at the event and the you know rest of the information will come closer to whenever it launches so that's you know possibility no, I think you're definitely right. Um, and I know people are itching to get their hands on the VR headset, but the thing you have to remember, uh, I-, I would liken this to the Apple Watch launch, uh, not necessarily in terms of significance, because I think quite possibly this VR headset would be more significant. I think this this might honestly be an iPhone-type moment. But actually, iPhone as well. Remember back to all of these things, the iPhone, the Apple Watch, even um, Mac Pros get this. They get teased, and then there's quite a bit of time before they actually come out. And it makes sense. I mean, with the Apple Watch as an example, when you're introducing a new product category like that, if they had launched, I, I think they announced the Apple Watch in September of 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds and then right. it launched in the spring of 2015. So there was like, five or six months between the announcement and launch. If they had just said like, hey guys, guess what? This is the Apple Watch and it is now available shipping next week. Cool, great. But it would only have first party software. That's the big thing is that when they announce it, Apple Silicon, same thing, right? They they had the DTK for a reason. The reason that they tease things is twofold. Number one is is secrecy, right? If you're producing products and getting it out to shipping facilities, it's a lot more likely in the case of the iPhone that, you know, people are going to take pictures of it and leak it. Uh, you can keep things under wrap for, for longer if you announce while you're still prototyping. <laughs> but also, more importantly, with that six-month lead time for the iPhone, for Apple Silicon, for the Apple Watch, that means that you can then have it be public, send a bunch of stuff out for developers to make it ready for launch. That's the crucial step. That's a great point. And especially, it was definitely true with the Apple Watch, and it's especially true with the VR headset about like, it, this is like, you know, obviously existing software isn't going to work on this thing vr is a completely different paradigm completely different right you know i mentioned before mm-hmm. apple watch has a touch screen at least obviously you have to you know re-engineer uh your your interfaces to work on a watch but like the vr headset's totally different we don't know like what the input 
method is going to look like and and uh you know how True. exactly everything's going to work you know with the software there's so many open questions so having answers to those questions and then being able to 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 seed out that developer hardware you know the developer i guess it was the dtk for apple silicon but like the developer version of this headset to get software on it is going to be really important because if this is a vr headset especially that launches with just first party software like the apple watch I don't really use third-party software on the Apple Watch. Whatever. The VR headset Same. with just first-party software, I don't understand what that would even look like. You could watch Apple TV shows and like maybe do FaceTime, yeah. and that's basically it. They need that third-party software. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I think it's it's – this is probably more like Apple Silicon – I don't know. It's weird because it's kind of taking all three. Like the three examples I gave were iPhone, Apple Watch, and Apple Silicon. And this is sort of aspects of all three of those. The iPhone is a completely new product category. So it needed third parties to be like, oh, hey, this exists now and I need to make stuff for it. The Apple Watch was a completely different interface. So you have things that exist on the iPhone but now they have to exist on this other thing as well. And then Apple Silicon was compatibility. It's taking your thing that exists and making it work on a thing that's different. This VR headset is all three of those combined. It's a completely new category. So it's going to spawn apps that didn't exist at all. It's going to need to work in conjunction with apps you already have on your iPhone what about Twitter? How, how is Twitter going to work on this interface? Do you, can you scroll? Is it just notifications? How do you adapt it? And then there's compatibility. We're, we're going from 2D to 3D. So everyone needs to be able to translate their existing and adapted stuff to do that. That's a tall order. I wouldn't be surprised, Noah, if we even get a full year, you know, tease at WWDC doesn't even come out until 2024. That's true because there are legitimately, I think it's interesting. Like if you think about the Apple watch, you think, think before mm -hmm. the Apple watch even launched, they're like, okay, if Apple's right. going to make a smart watch, I feel like a lot of the details already kind of fall into place, right? It's going to sit on your wrist. It's going to have a touch screen, you know, not all the details are necessarily, you know, figured out, but you have a pretty good idea. It's going to show you the time. You're going to be able to put other, you know, pieces of information, which are the complications as we know them today. It's going to have apps, mm -hmm. whatever. When you think about this headset, you're like, okay, I'm going to put this headset on. And then what am I going to see? What's the like home screen going <laughs> to look yeah. like? What are the windows going to, are there going to be windows? Are there going to be, is it, are normal apps going to work on it? Or is it going to be meant for these very specific experiences like what like there's so many possibilities yeah you, you don't you have no idea what it's gonna look like honestly this is like probably one of the most exciting launches i i think this is gonna go down in history i think i, I think very possibly we're looking at an iphone moment like if you go back to 2007 as you mentioned noah there were murmurings of like if apple's gonna make a phone, what'll it be? And it was not then given that it would be, you know, oh, a big touchscreen, right? That was not obvious at the time. So while retrospectively, 
this headset might end up being like, oh yeah, duh, of course that's what the headset is. From where we are right now, I legitimately don't think anyone could tell you like, oh, this is this is how the the OS will be structured and navigate. Like, like literally the most fundamental things about this, we don't know. Is there a home screen? Is there an app switcher? How do you interact with it? Is it gestures? Is it your phone? Is it, you know, a, a button? Is it a remote? Are there... It, are there things that you have to hold to control things or is it using, you know, depth and cameras to figure that out? Are all apps 3D? Are they translucent? Can you pull up an iPhone app and have it be floating? Or do the elements get scattered around somehow? Like there is literally no, there's nothing to go on. And it's really cool because everything that for the past 15 years with Apple has been, you know, th there's cool stuff. They've done some revolutionary things that the current generation of iPads is amazing. You know, the iPhone every once in a while knocks our socks off. Apple Silicon Macs were obviously incredible, but all of them to some degree, you kind of have an idea of, what they should do or the direction that they should go. You know, with Apple Silicon Macs, it was like, we'd like it to be powerful and quiet and have better battery life and nicer screens and more ports. And they said, okay, here you go. And it was surprising and impressive what they did, but it wasn't completely out of thin air. This is a situation where we're now getting back to what Steve Jobs used to say about, you know, you're telling the consumer what they want. They don't know what they want until you show it to them. That is this. That's true. I mean, there's so many ways, like you said, like we said, there's so many ways that you can go about designing and building and implementing a VR headset. So we'll have to mm -hmm. see what the designers at Apple came up with, what they decided was the best way. They've surely done tons of testing uh, you know, with users and, and they've refined things and whatever. So we'll have to see what they come up with and it'll be really, it is, like you said, really exciting to see because we haven't had, the the last time we've had something this big was, I guess maybe the Apple Watch. The last time there was a new category, like a new category of product. And the Apple Watch is great. I love yeah. my Apple Watch. But even that wasn't as exciting as this because there have been smart watches before and there have been vr headsets before but i don't think that they've been mm -hmm. in the way that apple is planning to make them there have been gaming vr yeah. headsets specifically but i don't apple's not making a gaming vr headset they're making something kind of different than that mm -hmm. you're right no i think like when you look at most gaming applications it's like you know you launch into sort of like a a launching screen right they usually have like a room like a virtual room that you're in with a menu or, you know, a Steam interface or, or something of that sort. But I, I don't personally see that being the case with this Apple headset. I think that given everything that we're seeing, it's, this, is, this is more VR being used to make your way to AR. We talked about this on a previous episode where the 
basically it comes down to we don't have transparent displays. And so without being able to just have a display that you can see through, what you need to do then is recreate what your eyes are seeing on the screen. And I think that is the purpose for this headset. It's not, you know, an immersive display. The, the display is designed to be a pass through to the real world around you. That's what I think. Yeah, I, that definitely, we've definitely discussed this and that definitely seems like the end goal. And I think also, you know, theoretically that might influence the way that they design the headset and the software for the headset. Because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, we're expecting the first thing to be fully VR, you know, fully separate from the outside world, or at least maybe not fully separate, but at least that, you know, you're wearing like a visor over your eyes as opposed to something that explicitly, you know, goes on top of what you're seeing. So maybe they'll do some sort of yeah. a pass through. But if their end goal is to do AR, that might inform how they design things here. Because like we said, there are so many mm -hmm. ways that you could go about building and designing a VR headset. But if the end goal is AR, then maybe they'll tailor their decisions towards, you know, going to that end goal. That's a very good point. I do want to briefly pause so I can address these super chats that I've mm. been waiting to get to for 18 minutes. So big thanks to uh, Nick V and EMZ who wonders uh, back about the 15 inch MacBook air. He says, I don't think, it's going to be called Air, and that Apple should bring the original MacBook back in a way. Uh, I talked about this in my in my recent video, which I I was not expecting to see, but there are rumors that a 12-inch MacBook could be coming, and there are rumors that this 15-inch MacBook Air would in fact not be a MacBook Air. Now, I, I can see why people would think that, but given what we've heard about it, I think it makes more sense to make it a MacBook Air. I, I think end goal, we should probably just get rid of the 13-inch MacBook Pro and then just have MacBook Air 13, 15, MacBook Pro 14, 16. You know, you're low tier, you're high tier, you're small, you're large. I think that's all we need. Yeah, I think based on what we've heard, you know, if this is just going to be a 15-inch version of the existing MacBook Air, it makes sense to call it the MacBook Air. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, could Apple bring back the MacBook name in some way? I think it would be cool. I don't know if it needs to exist. I mean, if we have two MacBook Airs, two MacBook Pros, I feel mm -hmm. like that's... Or I guess, do we still have that third MacBook Air, the the previous gen design, or do they get rid of that one? Oh, the M1? No, I believe that's still for sale. Yeah, so especially if we have that. I, I feel it, like there's enough, you know, enough of those. But I do, I still have a fond, uh, you know, place in my heart for the that 12-inch MacBook. It's just so cute. Oh, I have one. I actually have three. Yeah, no, I I in mean various I've, stages of working. I've only ever maybe I saw it at the Apple store, but I've seen, you know, when you when you had them and I've seen yours and they're very cute. Oh, I love those things so much. They're it's such a good 
size. I just, I, I would love, I, I don't think it makes sense from a product lineup standpoint to, to bring it back. Part of the reason that they killed it off was because it was arguably unnecessary uh, in a world where you have a 13-inch MacBook Air and MacBook Pro at the same price. However, that being said, oh man, was it a good, tiny, tiny little boy. And I, I would love to see taking, I guess, the MacBook Air, shrinking it down yet again. Although I guess at that point, like, is it even that different? Like, it would, it would probably be the same design language. Like, you look at the 12-inch MacBook and the MacBook Air, the 13-inch MacBook Air. It's basically just, like, slightly smaller version of it. So, I don't know if it would be point. I don't know if there would be a point to it. But I, I, I would probably buy one. A 12-inch MacBook with Apple Silicon. Sounds kind of dope. Yeah, especially, I feel like Apple Silicon would be great in that thing because it would work in a way that, you know, the old MacBook, the Intel-based one, never could. Yeah, I mean, the, the Intel one is slower than, like, an iPhone 7. It's not uh, fast. Yeah. And it heats up, and they were prone to SSD failure and CPU failure and USB-C port failure and graphics failure and... They, they just kind of fell apart a lot, but I, I I like to give it a chance. I have the 2017 one. It's a little bit better. It's about as fast as an iPhone 7 still. It's very slow, but oh God, it's such a freaking nice little package. That's what she said. No, I could tell. I, as soon as I said it, I knew that you were going to do that. <laughs> I, God damn it. I didn't want to. I was weighing my options, but I felt like I had to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I could see you like really weighing that in your mind. You were like, hmm, what should we do? I didn't have a choice. Man. God. You know, actually, that that kind of reminded me, the the butterfly keyboard in that thing of a, a worrying rumor that I saw that I, this was like a year or two ago. So I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but there was a rumor that Apple's not done with the butterfly keyboard and that they're like trying to like make an ultra low profile keyboard that actually works. And I'm just, I'm scared. I mean, I don't, I under, I understand the reason why they would want to have a keyboard like that. If they want to make things... Th I, no, I don't want it. I really like the Magic Keyboard that everything has. I understand mm -hmm. what they're going for if they want to make it... Yeah. May maybe they don't care. I feel like the Butterfly Keyboard was an era where they really cared about making things thin. And we've talked about this before, like that you know iPhone 6 Bendgate era where they were making things as thin as possible and they were sacrificing performance. And now we've moved mm -hmm. away from that. So I don't know if they would yeah, do thankfully. it because they want to make the products even thinner. But like, you know, maybe they do a trade-off. They're like, oh, if we make the keyboard a little thinner, we can make the rest of like the chassis a little bit thicker and we can have better cooling or not that they even really need it. But like, I could see the yeah. reason why they might want it. But I do think that if they did it, they would be very careful because they really wouldn't want a repeat mm. of the butterfly keyboard. Yeah, that... 
dude, they they really, really blew it with that. It was bad. It was real bad. I mean, they're paying. I submitted. I, I theoretically, if if this this keyboard lawsuit comes out, I've got a video on that by the way coming out this week. That's actually the one with the Notion ad in it. So this is very like apt that we're discussing all of this now and spoiling it. Yeah. But I think the total that I was able to submit, because as you might imagine, I've had a number of MacBooks. So I think Apple would probably end up having to pay me like $1,000 for all the claims that I've made with all those serial numbers that I pulled from my Apple Store receipts. Uh, it's going to be so funny if that actually happens. Because there was that one, like the class action uh, one, right? That we, we all got emails about that, that you could like claim yeah. some little bit of money from that too. Well, it was, it was a bit, I mean, if you had more amount. than two keyboard replacements, did you have more than two keyboard replacements? They emailed me and said that I, that I was the two computers that were eligible for getting money from that. Interesting. Okay. Cause I know that the, the highest tier is like $400. Yeah, I think I was at the lower tier that was like, was like a hundred dollars or somewhere around there. I think I had two computers yeah. at that, which would be the 2017 that got ruined, and then the 2018 <laughs> that they replaced it with. God, the 20. Do you want to refresh people's memory on what happened with your 2017 15 inch MacBook Pro? Because that was oh, really bad. I don't even want to think about that. But yeah, I mean, basically. There were there were just like I don't I don't even know what happened. It like it just like broke one day. It would like kernel panic and like overheat all the time and whatever. And then I went through like the touch two or bar three didn't months. work. The touch bar didn't work. The thing yeah, it would like overheat and like kill itself like all the time. And then oh. I had to go through like I think it was at least two months where like I didn't have a computer because I you know, I put my gave my computer to an Apple authorized provider because uh, there was no Apple store nearby. I was at Penn State, which is in the middle of Pennsylvania, and there's no Apple store nearby. So I, uh, you know, I gave it to a to an authorized provider. There was a whole thing where there was like a little scratch on the corner, and they were trying to charge me $300 for a little scratch on the corner that had nothing to do with it. I had to talk to like 10, literally, I'm not exaggerating, like 10 different people at Apple support. I went up like five levels of of support and whatever it was it was a it was a whole thing and uh, i got a 2018 out of it in in the end to replace the 2017 yeah and you were out of a computer like they didn't believe you remember like before you even dropped it off they had you like remove your your boot camp partition uh reinstall the os go back go forward update downgrade all this all this stuff to prove that it wasn't software before you even got to that whole mess. And how long were you without the computer? It was at least two months. I was using that old ThinkPad that you gave me when you had like six of yeah. them or something and you gave me one of them. And I yeah. was using that for like two months. I did. Yeah, that was late 2018. I got a bunch of uh, ThinkPads from uh, an office building. And so I gave Noah. He was It was a Windows user. It was a 2014 like dual core lenovo thinkpad that that you used for like three months that for thing school was, 
That was, you know what? It's it's in my room and like at home and you know in Philadelphia. Oh, it's still there. The last time I was home, I I looked at it and I had you know fond fond memories of of using that computer. That's so nice. It was pretty good. I, I I had one of those as well, and I liked them. Yeah, it's got the little the little nub, the little ThinkPad nub on it, and uh, the classic nub. Everyone, I think Apple should bring back the nub. Do you agree? That would be, I think that that would be the the best innovation. We're talking about these like butterfly keyboards, or whatever. Who needs that? We need the nub. Yeah. I think Apple should regress all the way back to like the big like thick keys from the old days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That With... would be You know, the original, the first ever Apple laptop, the Macintosh Portable, had a mechanical keyboard. Damn. That's pretty we sick. We should bring that back. We gotta bring that back and we've gotta put look at how much space look at how many nubs you could put on this keyboard. Look at how oh many Oh my god, at least fifteen. Look at how many every little intersection here is a is a nub opportunity as I like to call them. An opportunity. Oh, I like that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I mean think about this. You know, in a lot of European cities we're we're taking out all of these these T junctions. Look at these inefficient terrible intersections between the keys. And the nub is the nub is basically a traffic circle. So it improves efficiency for everything. Yeah, we, we like, could have at least twenty or thirty. Like if you're typing, imagine though, like you're typing on your keyboard, and then you're like, "Ooh, I gotta go mm-hmm. move my mouse." You gotta go over here. Yeah, it's not even on camera. Creaking anymore. It's all oh, the way over ah! here. It's way it's off. So camera, far, moving the mouse, and then you, imagine if every key you typed. There were like four opportunities to just go eat, 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 and then you can do whatever yeah. you want to do. Imagine from the whatever whatever point you are in your typing, there will be a nub by whatever your dominant finger is. It could be a thumb, it could be a ring finger, it could be a pinky. There will always be a nub, and you can completely seamlessly use the mouse and keyboard at the same time with two hands. Imagine, you know, That's you get genius. really efficient. You're moving your finger over from, from this letter to this letter. You just, you perfectly swipe the nub on in the meantime, and you move your mouse right where it needs to go mm-hmm. while you're in the middle of typing. Oh, man. Imagine the speed. That's that's perfect. I think that's what they need to do. But you know what we need to do? What's that? We got to wrap up this episode of Dark Mode, the the technology advice podcast with the expert uh, that our moms call us. And we gave some advice today. Put nubs in every crevice of your keyboard. That's good advice. Yes. I I agree. I think the future is full of nubs and also the future is full of us not being live on YouTube anymore because this episode is now legally over. Uh, I've been your host, Luke Miani. And I've been your host, Noah Rubin. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.